In the US, almost one in every five people are Latino, Latina, Latinx. However, in the media, there is much less of a representation than one in five. Who has the power to represent and how can we shape a more equitable future? About this and many other fascinating topics is this new episode of El Café Latinx with Mary Beltran at the University of Texas at Austin. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with me today Mary Beltran. Mary is an associate professor in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at the University of Texas, Austin. She's also affiliated with the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Center for Women's and Gender Studies, and she's associate chair of Media Studies. Before that, she was an assistant professor at UT Austin. And before uh, that, she was assistant and associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, Mary did her BA in journalism at Southern Illinois University, then a master in social work at the uh, University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison, and a PhD in radio, television, and film at UT Austin. She is the author of two very important books and a forthcoming one, hopefully by the end of this calendar year 2021 with NYU Press, if not at the beginning of next one. She is widely recognized as one of the leading scholars in critical and cultural studies of uh, US television uh, at the intersection of um, uh, film studies, critical race studies, gender studies with an area of emphasis on Latina and Latino representation and media production. Um, she has been uh, also prolific in uh, journal, write, journal article writing and uh, we are delighted to have you with us today, Mary. Um, how did it all begin? Uh, for you, that is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic? It's a, it's a good question. Um, it's been a pretty um, crooked path for me to get where I am today. Um, I, I always loved teaching. I mean, even as a kid, I remember saying that once and then realizing it was a kind of a nerdy thing to say. And, and then I Stop talking about it at that point, but I think I, I kept a, kept that idea in my head, and um, I was fascinated with media. That I mean, that led me to my my bachelor's degree, 
Um, in high school, I loved I loved writing, creative writing, as well as you know reading and and. Um, but at that point in time, you know, I I really thought that I might want to take on kind of smaller research projects as a journalist, and um, sometimes I still think that might be something fun to continue doing even as an academic. But um, I drifted into editing, into editing other writers' work as a journalist, and I began to get bored with it. And then that led me to social work where I was, I was working part-time even while I was a journalist, um, working for a rape crisis center and I had worked for a battered women's shelter. And um, then I, I had become disenchanted with newspaper you know, editing and had gone to social work for a while. Um, and that was, a, I mean, it was really an exciting um, and challenging job to work as a social worker. Um, it became, became ultimately um, too, too sad. Um, it became difficult for me to maintain it um, over, over years, but I, I learned so much. Um, in my jobs, I worked with um, you know, low-income families of color. I later worked with teen parents. And this actually led me back to want to study um, media studies and, and it was because, you know, I, as I worked with teen, teen, teenagers who were parents in San Francisco, many of my clients were Latinas, um, some were African-American young women, some were Asian-American, um, only a few were actually white American um, teenagers. And they were very socially isolated, as you might imagine, if you were perhaps like 16 years old with a baby and typically, typically no daycare because that just simply isn't a resource that, that we often have. Um, and many of the young women were fairly estranged from their families. And um, so TV, the TV set was really important in terms of being a kind of social window to the world. And this was, you know, back in the mid, mid and early 1990s. And so in the U.S., it was a time it was this is pre Jennifer Lopez and um, Selena was still alive, but a lot of people had never heard of Selena at that point. And so there really were very few role models of color. And um, and yet you know, these TV images were so important. Um, many of the girls also were in neighborhoods where there actually were not a lot of, you know, because they were working class neighborhoods, sometimes there were no, um, very few professionals in the neighborhood. And so, I mean, more and more, it just made me think of the power of role models in the media and what we see, just the kinds of stories we see in the media as, as particularly for kids, as they think about what they can do with their lives. And so I was curious, I, I, ultimately I realized I, I wanted to go back to um, graduate school and study this topic to some degree. Um, I thought that a lot of people had probably written about it already. I, I really wasn't aware yet that you know, like Latino media studies was still you know, a very new field back then. I mean, even now there's still so many things that are unexplored. But um, I, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a professor. I didn't, I, I actually had thought perhaps I would get my degree and be a journalist writing about these topics. 
But as I, as I got back into graduate school, I did realize I loved teaching also. I could, it brought back that, that interest in teaching. And I had, I had really enjoyed working with young people as a social worker. But a, a wonderful thing about teaching is you're working with young people who, have, who actually have a lot of resources, who are at a point in their lives where they really can benefit from teachers that care to, to do a good job and you know, care to really open up you know, new worlds for them. And so I feel really lucky. I mean, I feel like all of this journey um, now allows me to take on all these different things I love doing. Um, I really do enjoy my research when I get to do it. And I also really enjoy teaching. So it's all kind of come together. And then maybe I should have mentioned too, my background. Um, my mom was Mexican and grew up very poor in Northern Mexico. She didn't get to go to high school. Um, but she got her high school diploma when she was 60 years old and loved learning, loved books. Um, my father was German and English and Irish American. Um, and so my parents uh, came from very different backgrounds and did not even speak each other's language when they, when they got married. Um, but I think because of their two different backgrounds, I always had a lot of curiosity also about disparities and and you know I was able to see very different life opportunities that my mother's relatives my on my mom's side that they had compared to my father's family and what they had and and I think that's also really been a big part of my research interests and you know now I typically am studying you know racial and class and gender representation and I'm I, I think those things made me very aware that that um, they're not just by happenstance. Like there are, there's a lot of power dynamic that dynamics that are tied up in media representation and who whose stories are told and whose are not. And so um, I yeah I I really I really love what I do. And so it's been a it's been a lucky journey I think. And a fascinating journey actually. So you you have the you know encounter of different worlds growing up, and also as a social worker, the, the discovery of many different realities that perhaps you would not have encountered uh, otherwise in some circumstances. And the power of representation cutting across uh, all of that. So that's fascinating, actually. Um, did you, when you were in graduate school, did you, I'm sorry, for your PhD, because the, for social work degrees also graduate school, did you, just out of curiosity, consider sort of trying to blend your interest in media studies and media representation with um, social work uh, type issues, or um, you you were tired of the practice of the profession and wanted to uh, do something different? I'm just curious. I I wondered how I might do that or how I might still continue to contribute. And I think that, you know, as I looked for the program I would go into for my PhD, I knew I wanted to go somewhere where they specialized in race and ethnicity and probably Latinos in particular. And that had led me to actually where I got my PhD in the same school where I, where I teach now, um, which I know is, is somewhat unusual. Um, 
so I knew that that was important. I, you know, there actually aren't that many media studies departments that have that kind of a specialization. I was surprised to learn that. Um, and, but I think that it's a, I, I actually have learned for myself that it helps me like in my teaching to, there are some classes that I think are very important to teach that can be a bit sad to teach because if we study the history of Latino representation in Hollywood film, you know, especially before the 1980s or so, it's actually, you know, you'll see a lot of sad um, representations, just like my research that I did with, you know, an in interview, sometimes those were very sad as well because of what people had to endure that were Latino actors or writers, like a lot of instances of, of um, indignities and um, slurs. And I mean, just, you know, Latinos have not been treated that well until more recently in Hollywood. So I, to, to go back to topics that I teach on, it's sometimes been helpful to take on a class that is less um, negative or sad or political and intersperse it. Like my early work, I also was looking at and in star studies. And so I had, I had realized that it could be a way to study kind of individual situations and actions, like perhaps looking at someone like Rita Moreno and her career and, um, you know, individuals sometimes made a difference in her actually begin, beginning to move her career forward and not just always be a chorus girl in the background in a musical. Um, it's a way to study the industry, you know, the in, how the industry is developed and then promotion to the broader audience as well as individual action. And But there's still something sometimes a little fun about studying stardom because there's a bit of I don't know, I guess the fantasy elements that get emphasized in promotion and things like that. And so I've learned that it helps me to intersperse something lighthearted with um, some of the harsh realities also of discrimination that gets experienced. Um, in the fall, I'll teach a new class that I, I really need to do a lot of research on before I teach it, but I wanna do, I'll do a class on musicals, um, film musicals and how race and ethnicity have been a part of them and kind of, you know, so that's, I think another way like musicals also kind of bring in something joyous mm -hmm. and um, empowering at times, um, combining it with some of the, just the true realities that, you know, Latinos have typically not had full um, uh, participation and agency in telling their stories in, in Hollywood. How do you, blend, uh, combine or integrate, if at all, but I think you do based on the things you mentioned, your teaching and your research interests. And how has that evolved over time? Your, your PhD is from a couple of decades ago, right? Uh, 2002? It is now, yeah, it seems like yesterday, but <laughs> it, it is that long ago. T tell me about it, mine is from 2001. Um, uh, so, so you you've been on the faculty for for some time. How how do you integrate and do they feed onto each other? What has been your experience uh, so far? I feel it's really I think in in recent years I think that I've I've I do tend to have more integration of what I teach and what I do research on. Um, I think that 
I could have done a better job um, as a new scholar when I, you know, just post PhD of thinking about how to try to do that. But I think, you know, I needed to, um, I, was, I, I think I, did, I didn't take quite as much of a um, dominant stand in thinking, oh, you know, like I need to make sure I push to teach certain courses. I, I basically, I guess I was, I really kind of felt like I needed to serve my department. And initially I was a joint appointment when I was at University of Wisconsin. I mean, luckily I feel like the courses at the time, which I did not know were tied to my research, like. I feel like I learned a lot of foundational material from teaching that has really informed my research since then. Like I was teaching like a general Chicano Latino studies course. Um, I taught um, history of um, television and film and, you know, in, in the United States. And like, so I guess that's something maybe that, that newer, newer scholars and, and professors like we should we should share that more with them that what may feel like um, that foundational course that's not really useful and you just have to teach it like sometimes it's going to lead to some really great new research projects um, in the future um, yeah as okay. as i yeah no no go ahead please i didn't mean to interrupt oh i i was just going to say that i think that as time has gone on that I, my move to the University of Texas has really, one of the things that was really wonderful about it is that it, it really meant that they had a need for courses that were very much, that were even more in tune with my research than had been the case at my last university. And so um, in that way, I think it's been, you know, inspirational for some of the work I've been doing recently. And, and my students teach me a lot and, um, you know, really, really help keep it interesting and lively. And I, so I, I, I have pretty much the ideal students where I am now, and I am very happy about that. That's excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear. Now, I have several questions that follow up from that. One has to do with how's the experience of returning as faculty member to the place where one gets a PhD. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about that then. But before perhaps that, I mean, how was your experience um, on the job market, uh, the job that led you, you know, the search that led you to your job at, at Wisconsin? Um, uh, how much uh, your positionality and your research program factored into that, right? And how that was shaped both at Madison and Texas. So those are all topics I have percolating in my mind. Um, please feel free to pick one and, 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 and go with it. Okay, yeah, no, those are great questions. I think that my situation was a little bit unusual that my, for, because my, my mother was sick and my parents lived north of Austin, I was trying to get back to somewhere in Texas to teach um, soon after I, I had graduated and, and then gone to Madison, Wisconsin to teach. And so I, um, it's tricky for academics um, of any background to try to actually move to a particular city, as many academics know very well. Um, you know, typically instead we need to try to be very open-minded and simply go for the job openings that, that are in our fields in a particular year. But instead, 
I, you know, I applied to a few different universities around Texas. UT Austin was absolutely the more the most fitting for my for my work and the kinds of classes that are taught. And so it took some years. Um, and so uh, but I should say, actually, um, I actually had to apply for a job that wasn't that close to what I do. Um, because I had done so much work at UW-Madison on television studies, which wasn't actually a field I had fully embraced. You know, like I, I did television studies, but I had done more film work in graduate school, but they needed people to teach television more at Wisconsin. And so I gained a lot, of, a lot further expertise in that field. And then it turned out that the opening that was potentially available at UT Austin was a TV studies job. It wasn't even Latino media studies or something like that, or critical race studies. Although they appreciated that I, that I had that expertise as well. And there was potentially more of an opening in that area coming up. But I, I did actually have to fit myself into a box that normally wouldn't have been um, my initial impulse. And so um, it was, so it, it worked out, but initially it was a little bit challenging because I couldn't teach all the classes in my area that I wanted. And I did have to teach some other courses. And I hear there's a sound um, in the floor below me right now. I'm sorry, it'll, it's a garage, it'll end. Um, so, you know, I think that, I mean, I had to think of it as kind of more of a long-term plan. And so it took maybe three or four years to shift from the slightly awkward position and to a place where I could drop teaching some of the classes that were less of interest and get more, you know, take on more that were exactly in my field. Um, and that's, I was lucky that that was possible. I mean, I think it was more possible because it's a larger university, larger department where people can kind of shift around a little bit more. I know in a smaller university, you don't always get that kind of opportunity. Like sometimes it's like, well, you gotta be the person to teach that particular subject. And so, um, you know, I, I think ultimately I, that I was lucky, but um, you know, I, it's, I mean, I, yeah. I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, that, that's great. And and the experience of going back to teach in the same place um, where you got your PhD, how's that? How does that feel? You know, it, it just felt, it had been eight years. And so, you know, I think that 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 helped. And I can't imagine going back in two or three years or like never leaving as every now and then I hear of a situation like that. Um, I think that it, the main thing, thing that sometimes I felt was a little overly um, deferent to the few senior faculty that I had actually taken classes with, but they were very professional. My, my former advisor is, is my colleague now, and he's wonderful. Luckily, Charles Romero-Sberg is in the department. Um, one thing that I did do when I applied, you know, I felt like I, because um, you know, uh, Charles Ramirezberg clearly has expertise in Latino film studies. I really felt like I needed to show a differentiation of subject matter. And at that point in time, I actually wasn't working on the Latino TV book. I was working on a book that I had thought of as I was at Wisconsin about 
um, the idea of supposed post-racial representation and, you know, kind of multi-ethnic casts. And, and so I, I presented that in my job talk and was working on that project for a while, um, primarily because I knew that they might say, oh, we can't have another Latino media scholar in the department. And I think that sometimes is too bad. You know, I think it's actually benefited the department that that Charles and I do different kinds of work on Latinos and, and film and media. So, um, it, I mean, it, it can feel a little tricky, but I think you just kind of have to pretend you're in a new department and just carry on. Mm. All right, that's interesting. And, and after you joined on the faculty, you were instrumental in building the Latino Media Studies program, right? How was that experience of you know, institutional building? And, and what was the motivation for that? Um, how did you sort of uh, enjoy the role or, or didn't enjoy the role? Uh, if you could talk a little bit about that journey, that would be fabulous. Sure, sure. I mean, it all began pretty informally. It was um, a collaboration of Charles Ramirezberg and Maggie Rivas Rodriguez, who works in journalism and myself. And we really were not quite sure what, what could come of it, but we began brainstorming the idea of, I think what we called a Latino media center at that time and um, thinking of different goals and objectives. And I, I mean, I'd be curious to hear also about your center and how it began as well. Um, we knew that we wanted to you know, support students that were interested and like, in, you know, in our case, we have, you know, very active production area of radio, television, film. So students who study to be media makers, um, we have journalists and, and students in advertising. And so we wanted to support them. Um, but the, and then there was also the idea of studying Latino media scholars. Um, I mean, one dream we've had that we haven't yet um, seen come to, to fruition yet is the idea of like postdoc fellowships. Um, we, we do have a, a speaker series, although it's more undergraduate student focused to, to a degree um, where we typically are bringing in a filmmaker, sometimes a scholar, a journalist like Maria Hinojosa. Um, and so we, we had different sort of things that we hope to accomplish. And then um, approached our dean and you know just said we you know we would like to launch this one thing that we had already in our college that was helpful is an undergraduate minor and um, at the time it was called the u.s latino and latin american media studies minor and now it's changed with the name has changed to match the program so now it's the latino media arts and studies minor um, and then, so the Dean put in a, a, a small amount of seed money um, and still had, we still have a pretty small budget, but, um, and I was, so some of the funding can pay for an assistant who works part-time or a graduate student who works part-time. Um, one thing I wasn't expecting is that as this all kind of, you know, we got the green light, both um, Maggie and Charles said they were too busy to, to uh, run it. And so I hadn't even realized that I might be 
setting myself up to be a director of a program. <laughs> but um, but I said, okay, I guess we need to get this going. I'm 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 going to do it. And and I, you know, I I care a, a lot about it and I'm really proud to have done that for three years. So um some of the other things that, that I launched while I was director was a, a research group for graduate students and faculty. Um, I also brought in a lot of faculty affiliates from outside the College of Communication, you know, because there's a very active Mexican-American Latino studies department and Latin American studies and art and art history. And I mean, so there, there were people across campus who did work in Latinos and popular culture who said, yes, they wanted to be faculty affiliates. Um, and then more recently, I also started a student awards competition for student papers and student film or media projects. And so for the first time that that um, happened last year. And um, so it's, it's, it's really exciting and fun, but it's time consuming as I'm sure you know. Um, but uh, certainly I feel like it's, it's uh, very helpful for encouraging study of Latinos and media across campus. And I found that students are really um, eager to, to attend events and learn, and especially Latino students that are, that are on campus. Um, you know, in Austin, like the RTF major, I think at least 30% of our students are, are Hispanic. And so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of Latino students that are already kind of wondering, like, why aren't we talking more about, about this experience? And, so um, I think Austin is a really, you know, the, the campus was really ready for a program and it seems like things just are growing, so. That's great. I mean, but it's a general question, right? I mean, the, the, in the US, the Latina, Latino population is 18%, um, but the research output in the field is not 18% about Latino, Latina issues or issues having to do with, right? And same with jobs, same. So, so we clearly need more of these programs. So how have you seen over the past couple of decades the evolution of this area, um, both in terms of growth or not growth trajectories and, and, and topics and issues? You know, having founded one of the premier programs of this kind, being at clearly probably the best university to do institutional building for this because of what you said, all the, you know, already existing infrastructure, uh, plus the location, etc. So where do you see this moving forward? Not so much at UT Austin, but in, you know, in the different fields of inquiry, you know, media studies, communication studies, film studies, etc., that intersect with, you know, basically popular representation of Latinx, Latina, Latino people in, in the US, in the media. That is a great question. And one I don't think I've really thought about it enough. Um, you know, I wonder if as more universities are realizing that they need to have some specific emphasis on Latinos in media or Latinos in popular culture, I mean, perhaps we will have centers that begin to form a kind of consortium. Um, you know, I, I, I would think that schools in, you know, California should be doing the same thing. You know, I mean, there, there, I mean, there have been somewhat, I mean, I know NYU, I think now has the Latinx project. 
Um, although it's more art focused than media focused, at least now with the current director, um, you know, there's the Chicano Studies Research Center at UCLA that Chon Noriega has led for forever, although I think he's actually stepping down soon, maybe. But I mean, these are, I mean, you'd think that there would be more, and I think that it would be interesting. I mean, it's like, there certainly might be ways in which we could be sharing best practices and, you know, finding a way to share resources, perhaps. Um, as I was doing research on the 70s and the public TV stations that had Latino public affairs programs, you know, I, when I did interviews, I learned that some of those TV shows created a consortium and they would share videotapes of their shows with other cities. And, you know, because of course resources were scarce. So I wonder if there's gonna, you know, maybe, maybe that would be the next step. Um, and our students might benefit also from ways in which we, um, like I know one thing that we would like to do that we haven't had a chance to establish yet would be some internships at companies in Los Angeles um, that really want to hire Latino students and diversify employment in their company. And I mean, there might be some ways in which um, our different centers also could be helping students access uh, job opportunities in that way too. For sure. And in terms of, of sort of direction of inquiry, uh, you know, future topics that you think might, um, might pop up, where do you see the space or spaces? Because it's really an amalgamation of different intersecting dialogues, right? In part, representing the heterogeneity of, uh, you know, the Latinx experience in the US, right? Um, but where do you see the main sort of areas of development going? What do you foresee as the main topics or, or you know, trajectories of the conversation? Hmm. I, it's a wonderful question. I, I'm not, I haven't thought too much about it. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, I think of my graduate students I was, you know, one thing that I, I noticed in the last few years is that a few of them seem to be more interested in music video than, than in, certainly than in film. I'm, I'm seeing fewer students come in saying they definitely want to do film studies projects. Some are, some are interested in, you know, television that's on streaming media. Um, but I mean, I certainly have not always paid attention to music video and musical artists who are often seen, and often they're on social media as well. And so social media is another, I think, burgeoning field in relation to Latinos. I mean, I don't really like the term influencers, but um, there certainly are Latino celebrities who are often media professionals. And um, social media seems to be one of the ways in which Latino um, audiences are getting engaged more and more. And probably video games might be another area as well, which is something I'm not as familiar with, but um, I'm, I'm beginning to age out of some of the most popular media in um, the US. And so, um, you know, I think my projects, I think are probably gonna be more historical. I found it really rewarding to, um, you know, really hunt down artifacts and try to piece together um, what's still available um, to try to tell some of these stories that haven't been documented yet. 
Um, I'm seeing few, you know, I, fewer college students seem as interested in the historical projects, but then again, like there are some who, who, who are. And so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of research still to do in that, in that arena in terms of history. Okay. Um, and when you work with these, with these students, um, what advice in general do you tend to give um, to Latino, Latina students in terms of both the, the pursuit of the dissertation and how to launch their careers? What have you seen as sort of some key challenges and, and how to overcome them? Hmm. You know, I think that part of what I end up thinking about at times is um, for people that pursue a PhD to really be sure that it's what they will enjoy and, and it will really set them in the career direction that's right for them. And um, because it seems like if, if it is, you know, if they are like myself, you know, like a total like happy nerd doing research, then they're, then they do well and they, and they do it and they get writing done. And, 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 you know, the, the, um, the fields of academia will reward them for getting that writing done. Um, but then there, you know, there are people sometimes who enter a PhD program and it, it actually isn't quite the right, the right fit for them. And I see them suffer really, and, and really struggle to, um, to get research done, um, or perhaps they don't enjoy teaching, and that's certainly possible. Um, you know, if, if one or the other of those two things is not really actually fun for them or engaging for them most of the time, um, then I think, like, the advice I give may not really matter. Um, you know, I try to, I've, I've tried to encourage some, some graduate students that have worked with me who I'm, you know, maybe perhaps we're not quite as, um, just quite as well suited for it. Um, you know, I, I've found that sometimes they, things drag out and drag out, and then maybe eventually they do leave academia, but they may take seven years to decide that. And so, I, I mean, I try to really encourage applicants to our grad program to really think about it, sometimes take a little, and take another year or so before um, applying, and um, I think, you know, like, if it's the right thing, like it can actually all, it can feel like things click and, and it's not, I mean, we all suffer uh, some amount as academics sitting in our typewriters or computers. Um, I guess there are no typewriters anymore, but sitting and just like isolating ourselves to, to get things done that we, we uh, may not really want to do. So there, there, there are difficult moments, but ideally it, there should, it should feel, I don't know, not always like work, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Mary, if you had magical powers, right. And, and you could be granted one wish about how you'd like, you know, the study of uh, Latinos in the media, Latino, Latinas in the media, uh, popular representation of uh, Latina, Latino population. Um, what would you wish for? I, you know, it's kind of going to contrast with what I just said. I would, I would love for the idea, and I, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of your question and say, not just um, for student for students like Latino students, students of color. I would love for research and media making to feel 
possible for them by the age of like eight years old, 10 years old, like to have the educational system and teachers or, you know, guest speakers and programming to like really make them feel like, of course, they can be researchers or of course they can be, you know, screenwriters or filmmakers or, and, you know, I think it, I don't think it happens nearly enough in, in neighborhoods that are working class um, and often in schools in the U.S. that are more students of color. I think it, I think those things still feel like what other people do. And, um, and so of course, again, like they have to love it to pursue it, like I said earlier, but it would be nice for kids of all income backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds, um, just to think it's just another job, you know? So, yeah. Okay. Excellent, excellent way of concluding. Most interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Mary, for spending time with us. Thank you to our listeners for staying with us uh, through the end. And uh, I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you again, Mary. Thank you very much. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.